right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. It is the place to get the best news in, around health and everything. Because we feature great people like Dr. Rick. You know him. And then we've got Matt. We've got Kenzie. But before we get into that con- uh, conversation, you need to go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Again, right there. Easy. That's your 2022 uh, uh, goal. Go out there. Find out more. You got you got a little pain, ache, whatever it is. That's got to be your first stop. All right. Before we get into that conversation, Matt, 411, tell the listeners who you are. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Matt Bays. I'm a uh, physician, non-surgical orthopedist, primary care sports medicine, medicine specialist in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, one of the founding partners of Blue Tail Medical Group. Uh, have a practice that's Super uh, busy, very blessed to be uh, busy with treating active uh, teenagers through adults, through active older and our senior citizen population. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, Kenzie, give us a little background. Remind the listeners of why you're an incredible PT person. (laughs) Yeah, um, I graduated at Southwest Baptist University about four and a half years ago now, and I've been out in O'Fallon, Missouri. I'm the clinic manager out in that clinic. Wow. I, <laughs> Great introduction. Right? <laughs> all, all, all right. Uh, okay. And everybody knows Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick, they're all warmed up. Take it away. Well, first of all, I want to thank Kinsey and uh, Dr. Bays for participating in this podcast. This is a very, very interesting topic. And, and I think it's where medicine is going. So we're probably not going to get that much better at total knees or total hips. But I think having your body heal itself in treatment of soft tissue injuries, cancers, etc. I think this is where uh, research is going, number one, and significant resources are being placed. So again, I want to thank you guys for coming on board. And this one, this podcast will be a little bit different in, in terms of how we're going to progress. And I think people out there, especially the patient, should listen, because I think many of these issues are issues that they're going to deal with. And this is maybe an alternative way to treat some of these issues. So without uh, further ado, we're going to jump right in. And Dr. Bay, starting out, just give us your basics. Um, What is PRP? What are stem cells? How do you harvest them? And kind of give us, you know, stem cells for dummies, biologics for dummies. So we have kind of a baseline moving forward. Yeah, happy to help. Um, So... And I think that's a worthy goal is we want our patient population to be educated. I always talk to our patients that they're really actually medical consumers, especially in this arena. And we want them to know uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So PRP is platelet rich plasma. All we're doing is isolating the platelets from the peripheral blood. So we do a simple blood draw like you're getting a lab drawn and we take a, a volume of blood and then we reduce that volume significantly when the part of that blood that we're interested in is what we call the Buffy code, and that contains the platelets, uh, certain types of white blood cells, and then certain serum growth factors, and that is called PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Um, and that is, think of the platelet as, everyone knows the platelet's a blood clotting cell, so if you get a cut on your hand, you get a scab, and that blood stops real quickly, it develops a scab. That's because of the platelets, but the platelets do more than that. That's the quarterback of the uh, body's own healing system, the uh, pro-inflammatory healing system, where you get red, raised, warm, uh, and a little bit of swelling. And then over time, that dissipates and you've healed whatever injury you have. That's because of the platelet. So the platelet is kind of like, I always make an analogy. If there's a pothole on a highway, there's usually a a crew that pulls up and they got one guy on the phone and he's kind of talking around and telling people what to do. And then you got the workers that are getting the asphalt, getting the concrete, filling the hole, making the, making the road smooth again. The workers are the stem cells. So the stem cells in your body are what we call multipotent cells. They can do one of four things. They can uh, 
stay asleep at parked on the side of the road, which they're all over your body. There's no part of your body that's any more than seven microns away from a stem cell. So they're everywhere. And there's a high concentration of your bone marrow, high concentration of your fat, your liver, certain other places. So they can stay asleep. They can get activated. Um, they can uh, multiply or they can die. And that's really important. That's called apoptosis, programmed cell death. And if your cells don't die, that's when they become cancer. So uh, that's the four segments of a stem cell's life. Uh, and what we do is we take the mesenchymal stem cell. So I'm not going to get too complicated, but there's a cell, stem cell line. Like this line becomes cartilage, tendon, muscle, uh, bone, nerve. A different line could become blood cells. A different kind line could become gut cells, stuff like that. So we're taking the cell line that becomes cartilage, tendon, muscle, uh, such as that. And we can harvest that in a uh, very, very easy procedure. So we do a bone marrow aspirate in our office. It takes a grand total of about 12 to 15 minutes. People are awake. We use nitrous oxide for a little conscious sedation. We use a lot of lidocaine and I use music. I'm a big believer in the healing power of music and we play whatever you want. Even if you want to listen to opera, I will suffer through it. <laughs> but one of my favorite things is expanding my musical knowledge through what my patients enjoy and I enjoy it too. Today, I had a 52-year-old woman. She wanted to listen to the new Weekend uh, disc that was just released. <laughs> so her and my 16-year-old son were right on the same page. <laughs> so anyway, we do a bone marrow aspirate. It's really not that painful. I've done thousands of them. And then we do a little lipo aspirate, which is a, a fat graft where we do a liposuction. You know, once you have lidocaine on board, it is painless. And we're taking a small volume of fat, like 10 cc's. And that's a second source of stem cells. So you got your platelets you got your stem cells from your bone marrow and your stem cells from your fat and that's how we get your cells and that we concentrate them it takes about 20 minutes in a centrifuge so that's a long answer to one question rick sorry and and so now you've got this prp um or you've got these stem cells and basically what are we treating what so, so now you have this stuff um give us some some general guidelines as to what would be uh the next step a patient comes in they have uh knee arthritis or they have hip arthritis etc what are these things good for yeah and that's that's so important right we we pride ourselves at blue tail medical group we're a pretty experienced regenerative orthopedic group on knowing what to treat and knowing what not to treat. And my biggest job is to not treat a patient that I can't get better because I wanna earn their trust and send them to someone like you when they need a surgeon's hands to fix a problem that I can't fix. So we take that really seriously. We do weight-bearing x-rays. We're diagnostic ultrasound experts. We're uh, ordering MRIs and interpreting them. So they're gonna come in our office and they're going to get a really thorough evaluation and a thorough discussion of treatment options. Because let's say they present with NEOA, Rick. They have osteoarthritis of their knees, a super common condition. 80% uh, of adults are going to have x-ray evidence of this by the time they're, I think it's 60. You would probably know that data better than me. But, you know, we're going to say, hey, you can start with, uh, let's talk weight loss. Let's talk overall health. Let's talk footwear. Do you need an arch support? Let's talk full-scale, like, musculoskeletal biomechanic evaluation. Do you need a physical therapist like Kinsey to optimize how your body movement patterns are? How's your core activation? Um, do you want to talk steroid shot for a brief relief if your daughter's getting married and you want to walk her down the aisle and dance the, dance the two-step later in the night and not have knee pain? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but we don't want to do a lot of it. Do we want to talk gel injections? Do we want to talk stem cell and PRP? Or do you need your knee replaced? And that's where we call our surgeons. So that's kind of how we do things. That's awesome. Uh, can, can you differentiate for us indications for stem cell versus PRP? And, and can you tell us a little bit about the process in terms of um, difference in harvest, difference in post-op course? And I'm going to ask uh, Kinsey, that same question, you know, how do you treat these folks post-injection and, and how do you proceed after injection in terms of their therapy? Yeah, yeah. Well, think of PRP as being around for, I mean, you know, we're all getting older here. That's been around for over 20 years, right, um, in orthopedics. So there's some really nice data out of Columbia, Missouri, that PRP alone in an osteoarthritic knee is outperforming uh, hyaluronic acid or gel. It's clearly outperforming steroid shots. So we can do PRP in knee arthritis. 
at blue tail we so we think of that as a starter that's kind of you know you're putting that uh you're putting that foreman on the job but we know and and you know we have data that says they're going to do better if you if you give them workers and those are the stem cells so we want to do prp and stem cells and so uh if they have significant knee arthritis we're going to talk about doing both and it's a it's a procedure that happens at the same time. They don't have to come back. It's, it's done uh, simultaneously. Um, now, if they say, look, I don't want to do a stem cell, I'll review the data of PRP and we can talk about a uh, proper application. One of the things we do is we treat all pain generators in the joint. So, you know, uh, Rick, you know this, there's a lot of people that have an excellent knee replacement, but they can't say they have less pain. And that's not the surgeon's fault. That's not the patient's fault, but not all pain comes from the joint. Sometimes it's the tendons around the joint. Sometimes it's the capsule. Sometimes it's the nerves going by and they really actually have diabetes and that's neuropathy. You got to figure all this out. So we treat local pain generators in and around the joint. A big one is the uh, hamstring tendon that comes by. It's called the pes answering. So we see a lot of what we call bursitis or inflammation in that pes answering and arthritic knee. So we're doing a stem cell in the joint, but then we're doing an ultrasound guided tendon injection at the same time. And we see our data just our outcomes are better because we treat all that stuff. And that is a good lead into Kinsey, what she does with the Pez answering. So Kinsey, since, since we, we, we tossed you to softball, um, tell us, A, how, how do you treat a post, one of Dr. Bayes' post-injection patients? And B, you know, let's talk about Pez answering bursitis. And after the, instead of the injection, you know, how does PT normally treat pesbursitis and number two how do you treat them after a biologic um so i think the big the big thing is after you know a prp injection or a biologic injection is pt is complementing the injection so like you guys were saying the body with that injection it's healing itself so you're just you're complementing that healing process so at first um, usually they come in about two weeks after the injection and you're trying to protect that healing process that's still going on. So you're not going to jump in and start doing aggressive strengthening or anything like that. You're doing some gentle range of motion, some, you know, massage to loosen up the muscle. The first couple of weeks, they're, they're probably not doing a lot. So they might've stiffened up. So you're just kind of loosen everything up, loosening everything up, getting range of motion back. And then as the healing process continues, as maybe their pain is going down, you can get into some of the strengthening. A lot of times, by the time they get the PRP injection, they're, they're probably have been dealing with this pain for several months, if not years. So they've, you know, they have some of compensatory patterns that they've, they've had for a while. So as you get the motion back and as it heals, you can start to work on kind of reversing some of those compensatory patterns that they might have and teaching them how to isolate the right muscles now that they might be able to isolate those muscles with less pain. So kind of getting into that recruiting muscles, light strengthening. And then as they continue to have less pain, as that PRP injection continues to work, get into some of the more functional strengthening. If, if it's, you know, a knee squatting, you know, different things like that. So you're kind of progressing with the PRP injection as it heals, kind of starting slow and then progressing into the more functional, more difficult stuff. Excellent. Thank you. So we're going to change gears just a little bit. And uh, I think this is going to be very helpful for the patients out there. And I'm going to shoot a couple of issues that we deal with on a routine basis of sports orthopedists. And what I would like to do is hear Dr. Bayes' answer in terms of regenerative medicine and then the rehab component. So, Rick, should we do it like, uh, should we do it where I have to answer in the form of a question? <laughs> yes. That's, that's great comedy. That's good comedy. <laughs> what is PRP? Yes. No. Well, you know, I think if that works, both of us could get some kind of talk show host, uh, you know, side job little side hustle because medicine isn't what it was. So Right, there you go. Um, so a common problem I see in my practice, um, and I see a lot of jumpers and runners, is uh, not degenerative uh, breakdown, but a little overuse breakdown in the abductor. So the athlete comes in, let's say they're sprinters, they have some abductor pain. So you have kind of two types of patients. You have the 55-year-old lady who says she can't sleep on her side, 
you get an MRI, she has some chronic degeneration of her abductor insertion into her greater trope. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the 21-year-old hurdler who also comes in with abductor pain, insertional pain. Maybe the MRI shows um, almost like a, a, a pattern of partial tearing or overload at the abductor uh, insertion into the greater choke. So let's talk about the older lady first. She's limping. She has hip pain. Someone injected her for trochanteric bursitis. We got an MRI, and the MRI showed some degenerative breakdown of the abductor tendon, maybe a partial tear, uh, or, or maybe even a complete tear with some minimal retraction. Doesn't really want surgery. Dr. Bayes, take it away. What do we do? Yeah, so I saw this patient at 4.30 today. Uh, it's, 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 it's <laughs> Both perfect. of us did. Yeah, and it's so common, and uh, every person knows the name of trochanteric bursitis, um, because they either have had it or they know someone who's had it once you get to the mid fifties and women more than men. And that's probably a hip carrying angle or what have you, but you know, it's such a problem. And, and you said probably had a steroid shot in my experience, they probably have had three or four and one, again, one is okay, but like you start to do three or four of those in a tendon and it breaks down. So, um, you know, the appropriate management of that is number one, we never treat just the tendon that's affected we got to think of the body as a kinetic chain everything's everything is affected and connected so there's a victim and a culprit in her case i'm betting that tendon is a victim and the culprit is her movement patterns and her un under utilization of muscles and especially core activation we want to look at her lower back so my patient this afternoon had a very bad lower back but she didn't know that so we had to do an x-ray of her spine just to kind of Make sure that our therapy group is going to be, you know, fully informed in what we have. Now, if you want to talk injections for that, it is one of my favorite things to do with PRP. So when there's not, let's say it's bursitis, true bursitis with, with a tendinopathy, which is for the, for the lay person is kind of a degenerated tendon, but not, not really torn and not inflamed, which would be more tendinitis. I do like PRP alone for that. It's a simple injection. It's not too painful. It's not as expensive. Um, they don't have to go through that bone marrow. And they typically do very well. My take on PRP for these is it's like steroids, only better because it should be long-term, possibly permanent fix and give them that pain relief that's, that's not just chemically based. And uh, so that's my answer for that. That's the 55-year-old. And Kinsey, how do we rehab that? Or do we re... What, what do we do next? Yeah, I think... The big thing is I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, they can, they can hop on the internet and Google some, some glute exercises, but when they come in, they're like, I'm doing this exercise, I'm doing this exercise and they're probably the right exercises. But I think being able to show them the way they isolate, especially the glute mead, it, a lot of people, you know, 55 year old woman, probably not isolating that glute mead, probably activating her hip flexor as well. A lot of other muscles. So teaching them how to isolate that glute meat and, and truly strengthen that. I think it's also helpful in therapy to do the manual therapy part of it. So a lot of times if that bursitis has been happening for a while, everything is just inflamed. So massage, stretching, just getting everything to kind of calm down before you teach them how to strengthen. And, and like Dr. Bay said, look at the the whole body, the biomechanics. So the core, make sure the core is involved, make sure the, the core and the pelvis are stabilized during the movements and, and not just focusing right at the glute and kind of going beyond the glute med and the abductors and, and making sure you hit the core and the low back and, and even lower into the quad or the calf and make sure everything's kind of working together as a big picture type thing. Can I add something real quick? Yes, uh, yes sir. So, uh, Kinsey, this is going to just kind of bounce this off you. What percentage of these, let's say now we're 60-ish um, women who have this chronic dysfunction and let's say four or five years of pain, I'm amazed how many have a pelvic floor dysfunction. And if you ask the right questions of like, okay, let me ask you a weird question, ma'am. Don't be offended. But like, do you have a little bit of urinary leakage when you laugh or when you exercise or, you know, do you have to wear, you know, a bit of a, a diaper thing to help out? And they'll say, yes, they'll look at you funny and they'll say yes. And then you'll ask their pregnancy history and delivery history. And then this it goes back to the victim and the culprit. So, again, I think the victim is going to be that tendon on the outside. But if that movement pattern from the inside out is off, that's out of my hands. And it goes right into Kinsey for that yeah. expert. And I think a lot of people don't even 
bring out that info because they don't even think it's connected. And then you start asking those questions and they're like, oh yeah, that is happening. And it's not even on their radar to even mention. So it's just looking at the big picture really helps those stubborn injuries. Yeah. And that's, and again, not to toot certainly my own horn, but you know, more like it's a team approach. Um, It's collaborative. It's communicative. This needs to be communicated back and forth. And I think also, Rick, this is kind of what, you know, one of my goals is to talk about, um, you know, a lot of people are doing PRP now and a lot of people are doing stem cells. And my preference would be not that there's some kind of standardized fellowship for this or anything like that, but I think that the people that do this should be experts in the musculoskeletal system for, and this is a great example why. Um, So can you go to any doctor and get a PRP injection inside of your hip? Yeah, you don't even need an ultrasound for that. You just say, where does it hurt? And poke right there. But are they asking the questions about, hey, what (laughs) generated your pain? How long has it been there? And that's where you're going to see someone with your training, Rick, or with my training through fellowship and years and years of practice is going to kind of separate. And I I think that's really uh, an important um, dynamic, you know, and and I think communication between the therapist and the doctor and having seen this over and over and over again. Uh, looking as you, and I think you put it well, you know, the, the tendon is a victim and that's exactly right. It's kind of the end product. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about the 22 year old hurdler. Um, IT bands maybe a little bit tight, having some uh, pain over the lateral aspect of the greater choke, get an MRI. There's a little bit of breakdown. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, IT band friction, but clearly um glute weakness, maybe some psoas overload. What, what, what do we do? What, what happens next? And is, uh, can I make an assumption? Is this a, like an in-season athlete that we're trying to, everything's happening on a D1 level and an in-season athlete. Let's make it tough on us. Well, I mean, well, let's, let's go honesty. both. Let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, the world championships are coming up in June. Um, and so now, or the world championships are coming up in a month and you got a month. So, so give us yeah. both scenarios. Well, and so in this athlete, there's going to be, let's say she's on the USA track and field team. She's already had a, a full scale uh, functional movement screen. She's already had all that stuff looked at and she comes in with the MRI, like you said. Um, here's an athlete I would be more aggressive with. Uh, we treat a lot of professional athletes and, and, you know, you just have to do things different. They demand things on a different timetable. And a lot of times they'll have the resources to pay for it. So we can do... Um, a PRP in this patient that would have a lower white cell content because the white cells, think about the neutrophil in the white cells is more of an inflammatory cell. So when we do a high white cell PRP, the, the, the reason you would do that would be if there's a lot of damage and you're going to be willing to pay the price for pain because we're going to get those neutrophils in there and really, really kickstart the healing. <coughs> so that might be a patient that you're going to warn, Hey, your post-injection pain is going to be a little bit higher than maybe someone you've talked to. You're going to have 36 hours where you don't really want to walk on that leg a lot. Um, I may give you some narcotics. I talk more about medical cannabis than I ever did. I would not be talking medical cannabis in a, in a high-level college or pro track athlete, of course. So um, that would be the opposite would be when you want a high white cell injection to really chew up and really get healing in a, in an athlete who has a world championships in a month, you're going to go a low white cell injection to have the minimal pain possible. And so that's what we often do in our in season pro athlete is we'll do a low, a low white cell PRP, um, be aggressive with the injection. We're going to treat you everywhere you need, including like we look at the proximal glute, not just the, the distal. A lot of times there's a piriformis hanging out that doesn't look great either. So we go a muscle above and below that as well. Um, and then really it's all about the rehab. So I would have them in with their team rehab, uh, you know, two days later. As soon as that pain comes down, I want them moving. And Kinsey, take it away. Give us Give us both. The uh, world championships are in a month or the world championships are in, in June and it's January. How are you going to rehab that athlete and, 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 and give us a differentiation between the two time periods? Um, so let's go with the world championships are in a month. Obviously, it's going to be more aggressive. Um, they're prob- if we're talking about a pro athlete, they're, they've been training beforehand before the injection, they've got a good training session. I wouldn't imagine there's going to be this major weakness that we're going to have to 
to confront. We're probably just trying to complement that injection, make sure everything's loose, make sure everything's stretched, make sure everything is moving correctly in that month and make sure we're set in the best position when they do do the, the track meet They're they're ready. They, they have the right muscles working. Everything's loose. They don't have a, a tight muscle that's going to cause them to compensate and create another injury. Um, if we're talking, we have more time. So let's say they're in June, I think kind of the same thing at first, you're going to still make sure. I think the first thing I always do is make sure the range of motions there, make sure the soft tissue mobility is there. Cause if you start jumping into biomechanics and you have tight muscles, you're, it, it's not going to work. You're going to have compensatory patterns no matter what. So still make sure everything's moving correctly and then really get down into biomechanics. And, and I think with that type of athlete, pro athletes, college athletes, education is the, the, your friend, cause they want to go tomorrow. They want to compete all the time. So you have to tell them step-by-step step, today we're doing this. This is why we're doing this. It might seem like we aren't strengthening very much, but this is why we're doing this simple exercise to make sure you're recruiting this muscle to work with this muscle and just every day, make sure they know exactly why they're doing it and kind of progress from there because they know the strengthening and the muscles. So it's just kind of educating them on why we're doing what we're doing at that time. Excellent. And can I, can I interject something there? Sure. Uh, thanks, Rick. Uh, this is a great example of what we pay attention to is we, we do something called a regenerative matrix index, which is about six or seven different factors that we pay attention to on each patient. It really guides our decision on what to do um in this pro athlete or high level college athlete who's got championships coming up they are probably hormonally optimized you know they're young they're fit my joke is always like when i treat high school male athletes i always say no one in the entire world has more testosterone than you right now you are so primed to heal all we got to do is get you over that hump with the prp and you're going to do great so we pay attention to testosterone status, A1C, uh, even when they're not diabetic, because we'll pick up pre-diabetics. We look at vitamin D, we look at platelet count, we look at BMI, we look at smoking and other lifestyle factors. So in this pro athlete, basically all that stuff is, we assume, optimized by their coaching staff and team training. In the 55-year-old woman, different thing, and, and male would probably be worse, honestly. So... Um, we do a lot of uh, kind of like, you know, peripheral investigating of the patient's health status. And, and I think that is important because clearly a smoker, uh, somebody who's on immunosuppressive drugs, somebody who's on prednisone. I mean, it's a whole completely different picture than, like you said, the 19 year old who's about to go to college, who's playing football, who's just, as you said, test levels are high and, and, and healing potential is very high. So let's talk about, since Ron, kind of that athlete, and, and, and that's kind of more, more my bailiwick, let's talk about the, the athlete that comes in, uh, maybe 6'6", playing D1 or pro basketball, infrapatellar pain, uh, you bend their knee up, you kind of elevate their patella, you put your finger between the patellar tendon and the inferior pole of the patella, and they come flying off the table and they want to kill you. Um, you get an x-ray, maybe there's a little spur, you get an MRI, there's a little fluid level, some degeneration at the interface between the patella tendon and the patella. Well, what, what, what do we do next? What, what happens now? It's, it's one of my least favorite things because it's so hard to heal in, <laughs> in, in, in our, uh, and you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Rick, let me ask how, how long have you been doing what you do right now? 35 years, 36 yeah. years. So 35 years ago, your volume of exposure for your athletes you treated was, I would bet, a lot lower than it is now, correct? No doubt. Yeah, yeah. So that plays a role in this. So, um, you know, these kids are just jumping too much. We, I'm not for sports specialization prior to age 14. I use a little rule. Um, I'm sure you know this. I, I say, however you old, are old in years – should be the hours of the week that you do your sport maximum. So if you're 12 and you're a level nine gymnast and you're in the gym 23 hours a week, your risk of injury is very high. So in this basketball player, he's a D1 player, you know, a lot of this stuff is teetering on the brink of overuse injury. And now this kid's got it. 
So in, I, I do an ultrasound on him. I, I want to see what percent of that tendon thickness is still intact. Cause usually it's the bottom third to bottom half. The top fibers just stay intact. We always see that. And if he's got more than two thirds of that tendon intact, I'll probably do a PRP, a very low white cell PRP. We don't want to irritate it if he's in season. And uh, I guarantee the kid has weak hips because none of them do those exercises. And he is going to see Kinsey. And they are going to hammer his hips while his patellar tendon is just kind of healing. I also actually, uh, I'll put him in a brace. I'll lock their knee in extension for three days after the injection. And then I'll bring him out to about 30 degrees for about three or four more days. Uh, and they're going to be hurting anyway during that time. They wouldn't be able to play, um, and that kind of protects the tendon during that. So, so the athlete's first question, and you, you've heard this no less than a hundred thousand times, is when can I play, or when can right. I practice? When can I play? What, what's the answer? So, if they're um, if this is really kind of like the kid is playing at about like eighty percent of himself, this is what they do. They play hurt. And he's playing 80 or 90%, but he doesn't have that terminal jump velocity or that terminal sprint, but he's still able to get by. I might say, <laughs> hey, let's manage your pain and see you the day you're in the offseason and let's do it then because I ha you're, you're not going to be able to play right after I inject you. And, if they, you know, that's a conversation we have to have with, you know, the, the parent and the athlete and maybe even the coach and the training staff for sure. Um, so I think they're out uh, – Gosh, a patellar tendon, if I'm putting a needle in a patellar tendon with PRP, and by the way, a stem cell will get them better, but they're out longer, so we don't do that in season. They might be back at full strength at two weeks, but it might not be. So, you know, if you're talking a, a high school window and a kid's trying for a scholarship, we're going to do everything we can to put off that treatment until after the season. And Kinsey, let, let's look at both scenarios. Uh, Dr. Bay says, you know what, we're going to wait till after the season and we're going to be able to officially – Rescue uh, will be more appropriate with your treatment. We can take a little bit more time for the tendon to regenerate as it needs to. How are you going to treat that athlete in season, no injection? And how are you going to treat that athlete in season with an injection? Or how are you going to treat that athlete after the season at, with an injection versus in season and no injection? Kind of give us all the scenarios. All right. I'm thinking Those through this. Okay. Scenarios. So if we're going, let's say in season, no injection, um, yeah. I think, I mean, any, any scenario, we're going to hammer the hips. Like Dr. Bay said, I mean, most of the time, those high school athletes, they, those small muscles in the hip, they're, they're not isolating them in their week. So we're going to hammer the hips let, cause that's let, that's not stressing the patellar tendon at all. So we could do that in any scenario. Um, the no injection in season, I think I've seen a lot of success, something as simple as just having them get down, like say a basketball player, have them get down into a squat and then show them, you know, what to look for. Like, Oh, your knees are over your toes. Do you notice that your knees are going in when you squat? Do you notice that? Cause sometimes they don't even notice they're doing that. And once they notice it, they can say they go out and play the next day. They can, they can recognize it and maybe avoid it as much as possible. Some of it's unavoidable because of weakness, but a lot of times if they're aware of it, they can kind of correct it, especially if you're working in that small window of, of they're still playing and, you know, you're going to PT playing a game the next day. If, you know, if they jump and they're like, yep, we talked about this last night at PT, I know I'm landing and I'm not supposed to let my knees go in. Maybe that's going to help them just knowing the mechanics a little bit better. And then if we have more time, say injection after the season where we have, you know, a month, two months, three months, um, we can really get into the, the biomechanics, like really get into the squat, really hit the hips, figure out why they're somehow they're getting that patellar tendons getting overused. So why is that force going through that tendon? What's, what's happening. So working on the biomechanics, um, we're lucky enough to have, you know, some technology where we can hook them up to the dorsivi and, and really tell, are you favoring your right versus your left? Are you, are your hamstrings overworking or your quads overworking? So we can really get into the details of why, they're overusing that tendon when we have more time. Now, is there, is there any indication in season, no injection or in season with an injection um, for dry needling, ACE stem, grass stone? I mean, do any of those things ever work or is that just a waste yeah, of time? Uh, I think ACE stem, um, ACE stem and dry needling are huge, especially when you're in season, you can 
kind of relieve most of that pain for a short term. I mean, they do help long term, but they definitely help short term. So get in a stem quad hamstring, even around the patellar tendon, just kind of calm it down really helps. Um, dry needling helps too, just to kind of relieve that pain and, and loosen things up as they're still practicing every day. And, and yeah, give Rick, us a talk. go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, thank you. Just very quickly. I have this thing called like my bag of tricks of how to help pain. And I like a lot of topical CBD. Um, I like cold lasering. Um, certain therapy groups, certain chiropractic groups have cold laser. Uh, BFR PT, um, Kinsey knows a lot about that, yep. um, can really increase the return of muscle um, endurance and strength quicker than, than before we had BFR above and below a joint. Um, and then what was the last one I was thinking? Um, laser CBD BFR. That's it. So, but that's all, that's all kind of Kinsey stuff really other than the CBD. Yeah. BFR is awesome. Cause you can, especially in an in-season one, you can, you can wear out an athlete and really strengthen with some simple exercises. If you throw those BFR cups off and kind of restrict that blood flow, you get major returns out of even simple exercises. So you're not overloading that tendon, but you're getting a ton of strengthening and muscle recruitment with simple exercises. No, I, th I think that's excellent. And, and I think the other, the other trick of the trade when, when, we're, when we're really trying to stimulate the VMO, especially with patellar tendonitis is just getting a little, uh, um, hang on, just getting a little, uh, low dose test and making a pace, have your compound pharmacist make a pace and an ultrasound that into the BMO and then BFR. It. And, and that combination just really seems to unload the patellar tendon. And it really just takes two or three treatments. So I think Dr. Bay's bag of tricks are very good. I'm a big proponent of the THC CBD um, combination. And, and I think it's underutilized for a lot of reasons. One is the athletes always say, well, if I get drug tested, I'm in trouble, which maybe you might be. But I think that that combination works a lot better than just the CBD. But you have to do it in a, an appropriate setting because, again, you, and I don't know that you'd really test positive with topical or uh, low level, but still, it's always a concern. And you don't want to be the guy who gave somebody something and they tested positive. We always hear about the doctor that gave someone Sudafed at the Olympics. And they lost their gold medal and you don't want to be that guy. Uh, so you have to be careful, but I agree with him. I think, I think some of those uh, ancillary treatments are very, very good. So let's talk about kind of the dreaded uh, Achilles tendonitis. You're 22 years old, you're a sprinter. And again, I, this, this is almost a nightmare for me. Uh, you're six weeks before the Olympics, the world championships, and somebody comes in and they've got Achilles tendon pain, uh, a little bit of swelling, right? Mid substance, uh, MRI maybe shows a little degeneration of the tendon, but push off is very weak and they really are struggling to continue to train. Dr. Bayes, what do we do next? All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to change gears here and I'm going to get more aggressive in this patient because I'm going to hone in on the fact that you said six weeks. And, and I think in my prior basketball player, I was kind of assuming we didn't have the time or the, or the track athlete. If we have six weeks, I'm going to do a bone marrow stem cell without fat. Uh, fats can be irritating. There's some blood in that fat and the heme and the, in the blood can just irritate tissue. I'm going to do a very low hematocrit bone marrow stem cell, meaning the variables that we can change on the machine, you're going to drive down the, a little bit, the number of stem cells in order to keep more red cells out. And that's kind of how the gating theory works on these complicated machines. It's about all I understand in that subject. But I'm going to do a low hematocrit bone marrow stem cell with a low white cell PRP. So think better healing without trading off for more pain. There's a fighting chance that they'll sprint in six weeks. If, if that's off the table, if that freaks the athlete out and the coach out, we're stuck with PRP. And basically we're doing everything the same that we did on the patellar tendon guy because I'm sure they have all the same problems. <clears throat> and Kinsey, why, why, why does an athlete get, I mean, is it overtraining? Why, why does an athlete that, uh, uh, are, are they weak? Is their mid trunk weak or their, their glutes weak? Why, why does a world-class athlete get Achilles tendonitis? And I assure you they get Achilles tendonitis. <laughs> um, I think 
it could be a couple things. I think, like you said, it could be up higher, the, the glute, um, the core, maybe as they, I'm assuming if you have a world-class athlete, they've got a, a pretty good training program to where this wouldn't happen, but maybe they're, they're getting more specific on their sprinting technique and they're kind of ignoring the core and they're ignoring the glutes a little bit because they're getting a little more specific into what they're doing as it gets closer to race time. Um, a lot of times with Achilles tendonitis, it, it could be just, you have a, a tight calf, um, as simple as that, where, you know, you could do those normal calf stretches that you do static stretches, dynamic stretches, but it's still tight. So that's when we would get out the, the bag of tricks, as we say, and, and do a stem and do dry nailing and just do anything we can to, to loosen up that Achilles to, to get it to calm down. So, so one thing that you may want to look at next time is, is the posterior knee, um, kind of the, 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 the femoral insertion of the, the gastrosoleus or the gastroc, um, because I find that a lot of those are generated proximal, like you said, and, and I'm, I'm always shocked that they always that they'll have a little bit of uh, either posterior medial or posterior lateral tenderness as 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 the uh, calf muscle crosses the knee. So I think that's that's an important place to look. And I think the other thing that we see, you, you know, all the time is very tight hip flexors in those kids. And and you think that someone would be looking at their hip flexors, and for some reason that's that's always an enigma to me how a world class athlete has tight hip flexors when you know, theoretically they're looking at someone should be looking at their hip flexors every day. Um, so now we're going to go North just a little bit and we're going to talk about something we talked about off air. We're going to talk about something we used to always fix. So 61 year old male, let's say the guy's a racket sports athlete, uh, comes in has a degenerative terrors, rotator cuff. And I would say 10, 12 years ago, we operated on 100% of those people. Well, maybe not 100%, 70% of those people. And I would say now we probably operate on 5% of those people. So degenerative rotator cuff care, trouble sleeping, a little bit of weakness, centers the humeral head fairly well, but is really having pain and having difficulty with even even some ADLs, washing their hair, reaching in the back seat, putting on a seatbelt. Dr. Bayes, uh, you got the MRI in your office. It shows significant degeneration, supraspinatus, infraspinatus, uh, maybe a mild amount of humeral head, superior migration. What? What? Now what? Now what do we do? And and there's no time constraint. I mean, you know, they're not playing in the uh, 65 year old Masters Open or anything. Right. No time constraint. What do we do? Got it. Um, uh, so very thorough ultrasound is going to show us, you know, where that tear is. Is it anterior? It's always anterior, but how much of the posterior is involved? What part of it superficial, middle or deep? Rick's laughing because it's true, right? The posterior cuff is always fine on that super smash tendon. It's crazy. It's like how we were, he were, we were designed. So if that tear is, um, high grade partial, even full tear without retraction, if there's a posterior segment still attached, because one of the things that's hard for patients to understand is these are three-dimensional structures. Like it's two and a half centimeters wide and it's two centimeters or so, or maybe a little less thick. So within that oval, that tear could be all or none of all or none of it. And so if I'm seeing a full thickness, non-retracted anterior third tear, I am doing a bone marrow stem cell with fat <coughs> and um, the success rate of that is very, very high. Um, I have them back to uh, racket sports by three to four months. They're feeling better. They're nighttime pain. They're getting their shirt on and off. Their in the back seat pain is much better by eight weeks. But the overhead um, swing, the power um, is really physical therapy dependent on how they can quick they can get them stronger. And that's usually by four months. And Kinsey, talk about scapulothoracic mechanics in that athlete or that yeah that athlete. And, and, and how do we rehab that patient after Dr. Bayes has injected them? Yeah. And I think with shoulder injuries, I think my favorite thing is when they come in and they're, they're, you know, brushing my hair hurts, blow drying my hair. It's just simple things and you do what they can't do. So you, you get them on the table, you stretch their shoulder in ways that they can't stretch themselves. You can stretch them a little more aggressively than they're going to stretch themselves. Um, soft tissue massage, um, 
things like that, that they can't do at home. That's, I mean, they come back the next day and they're like, this is great. It just, cause you've done something they just have, have, aren't able to do themselves and they haven't tried. And then you could get into the, the, you know, you can look at their scapula. Is it, is it winging? So is the shoulder blade, the shoulder blade and the shoulder have to work together, especially with overhead sports. So what's the scapula doing when you raise your shoulder up? Is it winging out? Is it not moving at all? Um, so you can kind of look at those things. And if it's not moving at all, figure out ways to get it to move. Is it mobilizing it? Is it strengthening those muscles? Is it figuring out what's weak, figuring out what's not weak? A lot of times with the overhead athletes, they're overusing certain muscles and underutilizing certain muscles. So it's figuring that out and strengthening what's weak and getting things to move better. That's not moving correctly. I love that. So, so off the air, we also talked a little bit about um, your, your FDA project and, and I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah. Thanks. So um, I think one of the great thing that's happening in this, in this uh, spectrum is that the FDA is getting more and more involved. I think that's good. Um, I think if you did a, a Google search in 2012 for, orthopedic stem cell clinics, you would have gotten like 20 in America. And now there's, I think, like 2000. Um, so it's a very unregulated profession until now. And so in, in uh, 2018, um, the FDA gave uh, our industry a three-year warning that they're going to come after people if they're doing unethical stuff. And uh, that exp- it must have been 17 because it expired during COVID. So there's an extension put until June of 21. And so that has um, that has expired now. And so warning letters have been sent to industry uh, players if they're not following the guidelines, which are pretty simple. We're not allowed to culture expand stem cells and we have to do what's called minimal manipulation and homologous use. And so we cannot um, enzymatically process fat. We do not put fat in a joint. We put fat in soft tissues where it's homologous, stuff like that. That's a little bit technical. But the long story short is... Uh, you know, we're, we're one of, I believe, only two clinics in the country that are in private practice that have gotten and been accepted for an investigational device exemption uh, number. And that's kind of the FDA saying, hey, you guys have the license to do this. Um, and it's a big deal. I mean, uh, it doesn't mean that people that don't have it are in trouble. Um, they should be applying for it. And um, but I think the industry is going to change in the next five years. I think it's going to clean itself up. And um, and that's a good thing. So. Along those lines, you know, one of the problems we, we struggle with are biologics being absolutely not covered by insurance companies. So everything is is cash. And for a pro athlete, it's not a big deal. If a guy can play on Sunday and it costs $10,000, so what? That makes any difference. But for, you know, the poor farmer or somebody who's rural who doesn't really want to have a surgery, but their tennis elbow is killing them and they're having trouble working, and it's certainly a lot quicker to – biologic them than to operate on them um not not being covered by insurance is an issue so do you think that the fda cleaning up the industry because clearly you have i mean one of the things we always hear about and and i participate in a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews is sort of these crazy claims and and maybe they're in big cities but you know stem cells causing paraplegics to walk and all kinds of crazy stuff so do you think that cleaning up the industry, because the industry does need to be cleaned up and there needs to be a reality factor on really what we're treating and, and what's realistic, will create an environment that will allow some of this to be covered by insurance or is insurance never going to participate? I think, in, I think it's inevitable that they will, but they want more level one data and I don't blame them. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but at the end of the day, if we can give enough numbers that say, let's say for simple neo A, I never tell a patient we're healing their knee. We're, we're buying time. If I can get them five to seven years of relief, which is what our data shows, and we're working on writing that up and publishing it. We have two-year data published. That's very good. Our five-year data is just as good. If I can give you five years of relief for a couple thousand dollars and we may need to do that again in five years or that say that patient then gets to 66 years old and they're on Medicare and they're much more amenable to a surgery, then that was a victory. Um, so if you know, you all in a knee replacement is 
Rick, you probably know this number. After you add in all the costs and fees, it's like sixty thousand, I think, something like that. Right. Seventy, seventy-five thousand. Okay, so I was under, yeah. So seventy-five grand, and that knee lasts, depending on where, average fifteen to twenty years. Correct. Right. Okay. So you know, it's a simple equation. You know, certain people need a knee replacement, others don't yet, but that's the only option they're looking at. So this is where we can enter into the middle with regenerative treatments. Maybe buy time, provide uh, a, a worker to finish out his union contract and get on to that fully vested retirement. These are real conversations we have every day. Ultimately, the answer is I think insurance will cover these, but I don't think it's anytime soon because we just need more data. And, and, and how do you see the industry changing over the next, let's say, two to five years? I mean, are we going to well, be able to clean it up or is it, is it are we always yeah. going to have a little bit of a black eye? in terms of people that just say, you know, I got a needle, I got some blood, let me stick it in there and see what happens. I, I think that's going to be gone. I really do. Um, there's been some really poor outcomes. There's been, um, there's some blinded patients. Uh, some people were being treated for macular degeneration. They went blind. Um, you know, there's just some, you know, the, like stay in your lane. I'm never going to treat someone's <laughs> eyeballs. I'm in musculoskeletal medicine. So um, all I treat is orthopedics. So um I do think that one of the things we're very interested in is a um, minimum effective dose. So we're trying to figure out the actual number of stem cells that needs to go into the pathology we were presented with. No one knows that answer right now. So we're getting a cell counter. We're trying to do really, really fun research to say, hey, look, you have moderate to severe NEOA. Your RMI, that little factor we talked about is good. You have good T. Your A1C is good. Your BMI is good. Your D is good you need 350,000 stem cells dosed. So we're going to draw your bone marrow. We're going to run it through a cell counter. We confirm how many we get. And then we can tell you, hey, with good confidence, this is how you're going to do. <clears throat> That's all coming. Um, it's not here now. But I think if we get more people doing that, that would be a real boon to the industry. And then insurance companies can look at that and say, hey, wait a second. These, this is what we get for the value. If, if this is a couple thousand dollars and we can get, we can with assurance get five to seven years of relief. Why wouldn't they cover it? But then again, I'm not an insurance executive, so don't ask me. Excellent. Excellent. So um, Kinsey, I'm going to ask you first and I'm going to ask Dr. Bayes, what do we forget? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell our patients that we didn't, that we didn't talk about? Um, I think, I think, you know, all to Dr. Bayes' horn, for a minute, I think a lot of people come into the clinic and they're, they've been in pain for a while and, and we're trying things and it's not, it's not seeming to work. And, and they're like, what's the next step? What do we do? And there's a lot of options, but I, you know, it's good to have someone like Dr. Bayes, like Blue Tail to be like, there's a lot of options we can do. I know if I send them to you, to Dr. Bayes, he's going to give you the options. He's not going to push one thing on you. He's going to give you the options and there's, there's a ton of paths. So I think it's good I always, I think every time I come on here, I think my final thing is education, but I think the more options they have, the more education they have, the better they feel about the decision that they're going to make. And I think if they're bought into, whether it's the PRP or physical therapy or the surgery, if they're bought into it, they're going to, they're going to have a better outcome. I think. Dr. Bayes, give us, give us your thoughts. What do we forget? What do you want to tell us? I was hoping we'd go into like Beatles versus stones and why, um, <laughs> Cause I'm a stones guy. Um, Rick, you were, you know, did you go to the concert? I went in September. I, it was my farewell to my friends. I, I had to go see him and, and we missed Charlie, you know, he had passed. So uh, that was a heck of a tribute to Charlie. That was good. It was very fun. Were you there? Yeah. 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 It's, it, I was actually almost emotional because these guys are just like my heroes and they're still doing it. Um, you're, by the way, you're going to still be operating at that age. I know you, Rick. You're, you're like, <laughs> you know, and that's a compliment, by the way, because I will be, too. I'm going to be doing my job until I die in clinic and I'll die a happy man because I'm so blessed to have this job. I love my job. Um, but I was really joking when I said that um, about <laughs> beef stone. Um, I think we've got it all. I mean, I loved this. Um, the other stuff is super technical. Like, I'd love to sit down with you, Rick, and have about – three or four beers and talk about like management of osteochondral defect in the trochlear groove. What is your best surgical approach? How can we combine that with subchondral stem cell inject? I mean, like the world is our oyster. Like there's so many things we need to figure out. 
but that's not really for this podcast. I thought this was awesome. Well, you know, I think I think that should be our one an upcoming podcast because the one thing we didn't talk about is combination treatment. So yeah. there, there's certainly uh, an avenue um, when we do our rotator cuff tears and we extricate all the fluid and we take the PRP and we put the PRP in a little uh, crimson duvet they call it in the area of the repair. So I think combination treatments certainly are going to augment healing in the future. And whether that's a, a, an osteochondral defect in a professional pitcher or in the elbow or a uh, Taylor Dome lesion. So I, so I think there, there's clearly a pathway there. And, and the other thing that I would like to say is, as I said in the beginning, we're not going to get that much better at total hip replacements. I don't do them. So I'm not definitely not going to get any better, but I, but I think that regenerative medicine really is the future. I mean, that's where we are going to make great gains. And as you said, we're going to learn about cell counts. We're going to learn about dosing. We're going to say this disease process is better treated with leukocyte rich, or, Hey, we're going to add a little fat. We're going to take out a little bit of fat. And I think we're also going to have more of a combination um, as we learn more and more about the regeneration of the, of the body's ability to heal. So I think, A, this is very, very um, educational for the patients. I think what you guys are doing is amazing and a, and a real service, number one. And number two, uh, I think the progress that you're talking about needs to be done because I think in the beginning, people were doing all kinds of crazy stuff with PRP, calling it a miracle, it got a little bit of a bad rap. And if I think we can clean that up and, and, and really follow the science like we talk about in COVID, uh, I, I, I think, A, it's going to help our reputation. But I also think we're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a team approach. Like having the surgeon with the non-surgical specialist and the physical therapist in a cohesive team only benefits the patient. I agree with that. And, and, and you know, the other thing is, which we didn't talk about, what we should talk about next time is post-op. So, I'll see athletes and I'll say, you know, we did this, this, and this. And I think, you know, maybe you need to go get a PR. You're four weeks. I think this will enhance your post-op. You know, maybe we should discuss sending you for a PRP. So I think there's some avenues we didn't discuss that we should discuss, as you said, a team approach. And I think that when everybody's on board, you got Kinsey kind of giving us feedback as to, hey, we need to do these mechanically and we need to do this uh, in a regenerative manner. I think it only benefits the patient. And what I really hope, which I don't know, I'm kind of in your camp, I hope at some point that insurance companies step up and say, hey, this is a very significant value-added process, and, and we need to start to cover it. Because some people are just not in the ballpark because they just couldn't afford it if they wanted to. Right. And that's sad. Right. Well, thanks Everybody. for having me. Well, no, I, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I really was. I was soaking this up with – like a sponge. You guys did a great job. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's, uh, it's, it's exciting from my perspective of what you guys are doing. I have a question for you, Dr. Matt. Yes. So if you've got to uh, extract some stem cell from a fat layer on a body, that's just muscle and gristle like me. Well, what's your, what's, what's your approach? Because you're not getting fat off of me. That, Where's my go-to spot? Yeah, that's what we call stem cell trash talking right there. <laughs> well, this is what I tell everyone. I'm, I'm 46, and I, I like to think I work out, but I, I have this ring around my belly where I store all my uh, pork steaks and IPA, and that's where we get it, right off the flank. And um, I think you're hitting on to something that is really important. Hey, Dr. Rick, where did, uh, where did we meet for dinner that one night? Uh, we met, met at Sportsman's Park in uh, Clayton. Right there. Yeah. I mean, you set something up there, beer and medicine, <laughs> right there, there. right there. Kinsey, you can join too. Perfect. You didn't have any fat. Always for a meal. <laughs> no <laughs> fat. Run from no fat. There and then run back. <laughs> See, I got to tell you, man, that's a that. I like the conversation very much. Hey, uh, before we do break away, uh, Matt, Doctor Mac, how did they get a hold of you? They're saying, hey, I want to talk to this guy. Yeah, uh, bluetailmedicalgroup.com. It's a long name, but uh, hopefully people remember it and uh, can, can send you wherever you need to go. Kinsey, how do they get a hold of you? 
Um, corephysicaltherapy.com. It's going to have, you know, all the locations. Um, we have cores in multiple states, um, locations. It has emails of, of the therapists and all that good stuff. How about that for a segue? That's right. Go to corephysicaltherapy.com. That is your place that you need to start your journey on to better health. You can steal that one, Kinsey, if you want to. If you're sure <laughs> I'm going to. I like one. that. <laughs> Dr. Rick, you were absolutely stunning again. Enjoyed. Welcome to 2022. I really did. I enjoyed this conversation. I actually, I'm learning. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dangerous in the future, very near future. I'm <laughs> coming after you, Dr. Rick. Matt, you're next. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining in your corner with Core Physical Therapy. We are going to have a wonderful conversation shortly. So stay tuned. 